Welcome into another edition of the Hops and Spirits Podcast, and we're back again with some summer school 2021. That's right, we're back again. But instead of learning about math and other things, we're learning about some new pours, some cocktails, and beers this week. We'll be joined here in a little bit by Kevin Patterson of the Beer Trap in Lexington, Kentucky. First, though, we will go with uh, the cocktail side, the spirit side of things with Jake Solick of West Main Crafting Co., in uh, downtown Lexington. But remember to follow us on all of our social media at Hop Spirits, all one word on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and more. So you can keep up with all of our cool things like our big fundraiser that we just wrapped up and who's coming up next on Summer School 2021. But we're on the spirits side right now. And joining us once again is Jake Solick, Beverage Director at West Main Crafting Co. in Lexington. Jake, welcome back. Thank you, Jonathan. It's good to be here. Now, as we're doing summer school, I've tried to make, you know, you've been on here before. You know what's about to happen. One tough question. Uh, but with summer school, I figured let's make them school related. So did you bring your lunch or, or pack a lunch? Did you uh, get your lunch at school or did you pack a lunch and bring it to school? I don't think I ever packed a lunch. Not after maybe the age of eight. So it was always, always, always a hot lunch? Yeah, generally a hot lunch until maybe high school, and then it was more uh, candy bar and, and maybe a soda. <laughs> so you you went really nutritional there at the end. No, not at all. <laughs> I was pretty. I think I was almost always a, a bring your lunch to, to school kid. I don't know why. I had nothing against a school lunch, but for whatever reason, I just always had a a bag lunch. Now sometimes that didn't go in my favor, as friends would, you know break into lockers and, and steal your lunch but you know that 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 goes without saying you know they're they're yeah. good people <laughs> uh now now you know you're here for you know some summer cocktails kevin will be joining us here in a little bit for summer beers uh, but before i even get into the, what people can expect on summer cocktails what's your favorite part about being a bartender these days especially now that we're coming out of kind of all the restrictions of the pandemic and you know in kentucky people can now sit at bars again you know at the bar uh things like that so what's your favorite part of of being a bartender these days you you make a good point about the the reopening factor and just being able to sit as a bar um Mm -hmm. because you know in addition to actually bartending i enjoy going out uh so for me that interaction being able to sit at a bar top uh whether even whether I'm on either side of the bar, whether I'm, I'm, I'm talking to a guest or a bartender is talking to me, just that sort of laid back, casual interaction with another human being, I probably, I, th- I think I miss that the most. Um, super excited about this upcoming week, being able to go to 100%. It's gonna be really exciting. And then you know, I kind of joked about you a little bit before we hopped on, but everything is now calm there. No, no more mischief has happened at, at West Main, correct? No, no. We had a we had an anonymous an anonymous uh, uh, supporter actually sent us a brand new octopus. So we have we have finally replaced the missing bookend that's that's been troubling us for so many weeks. And, and folks, if you didn't, you really should follow them on, on social media because it was entertaining, but also very sad that someone would try to walk out with that. And I'm glad that there is a nice supporter that that at least brought brought some uh, love back to the bar uh, and helped you guys out. <laughs> what? You know, with summer being here, you know, obviously kind of things change a little bit. I know you guys kind of do uh, cocktails in six months periods and, and so forth. But what are some things people can expect now that, you know, temperatures getting a little warmer uh, from, from those seasonal cocktails? You know, temperatures warmer, people might be sitting outside a little bit more uh, or, or just in general it's hot uh, wherever you are. So what can people expect? Yeah, you're going to see cocktails 
change quite a bit. Uh, on, on the one hand, a lot of different produce starts coming in over, over the summer. Um, citrus prices go up, but you start to see things like watermelon and strawberries really come down in prices. So uh, those ingredients start getting added into cocktails. But you also go for more cooling and quenching drinks this time of year. So uh, what is bartenders, we call the Tom Collins build, which is going to be some sort of sour cocktail topped up with something sparkling. That kind of comes back into fashion this time of year. So expect to see a lot of tall, iced, cool, and refreshing drinks. And then maybe a lot more fruit, fruit based or at least a fruit addition to them. Yeah, absolutely. Tons of fresh produce. If, if ever there's a season to use fresh produce, it's summertime. <laughs> And, and then, you know, we always talk about this because one, one of the reasons I love having you on is because you, you can give some ideas on how folks can do some things at home. And what's one or two cocktail at home recipes, you know, for, for just if I'm wanting to make one for myself, what might be a, a good one that I can go ahead and, and, and throw together, uh, you know, maybe even tonight? Definitely summertime. It's all about the daiquiri. Uh, and when I say daiquiri, I mean the actual real daiquiri, <laughs> like the frozen uh, syrupy looking thing that comes out of the, the machine in certain chain stores, but an actual authentic daiquiri. It's one of the foundational cocktails, comes from the golden age, goes all the way back to about 1890. We actually, we know the, the man who created it. He was a mining, an American mining engineer. Uh, he was stationed in Cuba doing some work. He threw a party for some of his friends and he created this new cocktail. Uh, he called it the daiquiri. Uh, he named it after the beach that was really close to where he was stationed in, in Havana. It's the, the simplest cocktail in the world. It's three ingredients. You've got sugar, fresh lime juice, and a really nice white rum. Uh, a Puerto Rican style rum works great in here. Something like Don Q, uh, Bacardi, uh, Florida Caña from Nicaragua is another great one. You want something really light um, and citrusy. So you take uh, simple syrup, half an ounce three quarters of an ounce of lime juice, which if you're at home, that's about half a lime. Just make sure that it's strained out. Two ounces of a nice white rum. Shake it over ice, serve it up in a glass. It's the best thirst quenching and refreshing cocktail on the planet. I, I was going to say, I, I always think about that when my mom would go out to restaurants when I was younger. I think she would always get the virgin version, but that, that was fine. But it, daiquiris r- remind me nice and red and or at least you a nice color to them and, and just, uh, you know, I think you can also, you can also kind of add a few things to them too, right? Instead of just the three ingredients, if you yeah, want to spice things up. Three ingredients are classic. There's a, there's a number of liqueurs that you can add. Um, but again, being summertime, some fresh produce wouldn't hurt. You can actually make a really nice homemade strawberry daiquiri by just muddling some strawberries in the base, in the base of the shaker before you shake. And then you've got a perfectly well done, balanced homemade strawberry daiquiri. Uh, I was going to say, with three ingredients, I'm pretty positive I could make that happen. Yeah. E- even with the strawberries, because we just went out to, to Evan's uh, um, uh, orchard and, and Pick Farm, and we got plenty of strawberries, so that might be on, on the menu here this week. Uh, now, now, say we're having some gatherings. What might be a, a good large batch cocktail uh, folks can make in advance and then and share it and, and make, make themselves look like they know what they're doing? Easiest thing I can think of would be, especially for this time of year, uh, rum punch. Uh, you could actually make a, a, a rum punch style large format drink using any base spirit, but I think for summertime rum is a good option. Uh, and the easiest way to remember it is actually a nursery rhyme that uh, I think it dates two or three hundred years, um, uh, all the way back to Jamaica. But it, it's one of sour, two of sweet, three of strong, four of weak. 
And what this means is you can use any sort of sour element, so either lemon or lime juice, just one part, uh, two parts of your sweetener, which is sugar, three parts of strong, which is gonna be your hard alcohol, so th three parts of rum, and then four parts of weak. Uh, this is going to be a diluting agent, so you can use cold water uh, is, is the easiest thing to use, uh, something that maybe you ha kept in the freezer for 10 minutes to make sure that it was really chilled, or you could use um, a refrigerated tea. Uh, and I, I did that recipe in parts rather than ounces, that way it's really scalable. So if you've got a couple friends coming over, you could just do uh, parts and multiply it by 8. Uh, if you've got a huge gathering coming over, you can multiply it by 10, uh, put it in a punch bowl. Uh, it's easy to remember, and you can't really mess it up. <laughs> you, you would be surprised. You've never seen me in a kitchen. Uh, I also like the one, two, three, four, the little nursery rhyme. Yeah. I, I think little things like that always make things uh, uh, very interesting. And, you know, we've talked a lot about rum in this one. Is there anything like, obviously, you know, rum, uh, you know, almost every spirit nowadays, there's a, a variety of them. Is there anything people should watch when picking out a rum to use in any, anything like this or, um, or, or pretty much all fair game? Rums are, are, are weirdly still very affordable. Um, we've seen mezcal, gin, and whiskey booms over the last 10 to 15 years, and the prices have gone up. Uh, but you can get a decent white unaged rum for 10 to, a, fifth, a fifth, 750 milliliters, for 10 to $15. Um, so if you like drinking rum, uh, this is definitely the time of your life to be doing it because it hasn't had the same premiumization as, as, as other brands and, and other types of spirits have. Um, I don't think there are any hard rules, uh, but it is useful to know that rum laws are different than other spirits. So you can have two aged rums from two different countries that might actually taste entirely different. And that's because the rum producing practices of those country, uh, those two countries are different. So if you are shopping for rum, uh, you might want to just Google rum, rum types so that you understand that a Jamaican rum, which is going to be pot stilled and, and fermented for a long period of time, is going to be very funky. Whereas a Puerto Rican rum uh, is, is made using what's called the Cuban style. So it's going to be very clean and light and refreshing. So you might want to go ahead and know that depending on which country you buy your rum from, it could taste drastically different. Which could, in, in, in the end, uh, make or break a cocktail or could provide some uh, variety in, in, in your cocktail, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, now, you know, as you mentioned, there's a lot of fresh ingredients coming online. You know, you can go to the farmer's market. You can go out to you pick orchards and, and find a lot of different things right now. Uh, anything that people might want to not use or may want to be very cautious with using uh, that could just kind of make a, a cocktail go go uh, go rye. As far as produce goes, there's there's not a lot. The sky's really the limit, um, especially this time of year. Uh, I don't uh, squash really. Most squash aren't really in season yet. Um, I don't. I've never been super successful using squash in, in, in my cocktails. Although I'm sure someone has done that to, to great success. Um, I read the, the one ingredient that, that cracks me up, honestly, that I think people should um, steer away from or just get less inventive with is probably White Claw. Um, <laughs> just because, I mean, I don't think most people realize that it's actually just a flavored malt beverage. Um, it's not really a vodka soda, and I would encourage people this time of year, if you want a vodka soda, you should just make a vodka soda. 
or, or there are options that are legit vodka and sodas yes. out there as, as well. So, so yeah, uh, but <laughs> I like that. Also, if you talk to a lot of the, the beer folks on here, they have a few few words for for <laughs> seltzers as, as well. But that's you know whatever whatever floats your boat. That I'm happy that you're having a drink. Yeah. Um, now you know I, I've talked a lot to to you and others about cocktails, and obviously. Uh, there's kind of a, a simple formula to most, at least the base of them. You know, about there's about three ingredients, three or four ingredients, and a ratio. But if someone wants to switch out or substitute something, what's the best practice for that so that they don't screw up maybe the ratio or get a little too watered down or maybe not watered down enough and, and over-enjoy? Uh, what, what, what's a good tip maybe there when you're trying to switch out ingredients and try to, you know, actually do a little bit more with cocktails? If you're making things in your kitchen, um, it's pretty hard to, to mess it up as far as ratios go um, because you know exactly what's going into those ingredients. Um, you know, I always recommend making your own simple syrup, just two parts sugar to one part water. Um, I think the, the problem with switching out of all of our classic foundational recipes is when you start using artificial mixers that you might buy in a big box store. You know, you might go in and, and, and see some lime syrup or some sweet and sour mix or some grenadine uh, and the problem with swapping in uh, an artificial ingredient versus one that you can just make for five minutes in, in your kitchen is that you don't know the level of sugar um, it's probably high fructose corn syrup uh, you don't know how much of it's in there uh, and so it may be more concentrated than you would otherwise make on your stovetop and so it's really going to throw the whole balance of the cocktail off and then any other tips that you might give folks as they're making cocktails for this summer? Because obviously, if they're having a few of these outside or just, you know, maybe not be realizing it's so hot and they're sweating things out, uh, what, what's something you can, can give them a tip on? Something that I pay attention to in the summertime, because, you know, I'm guilty of this on my, on my days off, is not being conscientious of, of session drinking. Um, especially if you're going to the pool around noon and you're going to have a few drinks, is just to drink lower ABV drinks. Um, drink stuff with lots of soda water, um, maybe even sparkling wine. Just things that are, that are going to allow you to stay a little bit hydrated. Um, you don't, you don't want to be drinking the, the boozy stirred drinks all day at the pool. Negronis in Manhattans are not for this time of year. <laughs> you want to kick it with stuff that you can drink six or seven of rather than two or three of. That, that, that is very, very, very fair. And since it's summer school, uh, I, I saw this on your social media the other night. And you guys do some uh, cool things down there at West Main. You do kind of these uh, experiences, these private experiences where you teach folks about a few different varieties uh, of liquors. Can you explain what goes into those in case anyone might be visiting Lexington yeah. and, and wants to, to give one of those a try? Yeah, yeah. We offer a, a couple different uh, experiences. Uh we book them between two and, and eight people. Well, we have a small private VIP classroom uh, in, in the back of the bar, right off the side of the service bar. Uh, we have a couple different options, but right now we're offering bourbon cocktail classes, uh, the story of absinthe, and a really uh, wonderful mezcal madness class. Uh, and the idea is in a small, intimate setting, uh, we can provide a tasting of different spirits and different cocktails where you get the whole history of that subject. Uh, and then you can choose a few bites. Uh, we bring out a first course, and then you can have dinner. Uh, it's about an hour and a half to two-hour long experience, but allows you to sit down with somebody and go really in depth on topics that we're passionate about, 
and topics that we want other people to, to learn and understand and be passionate about. And I think that's awesome because I, I, you know, just being able to talk to you, you know, several times now, I've learned so much about history and how much almost not everything, but the vast majority of alcohol is tied to some something many years ago yeah. um, and or it can trace its history to many years ago. And and just how they've evolved has been really impressive, um, you know, and, and then to you, you kind of touched on it, the mezcals. Uh, those are kind of becoming a, a very popular thing uh, to a lot of folks. And um, some people have said that it could be the next bourbon in the sense of the different varieties and, and what you see out there. So I, I find it really cool that you guys give these kind of very personal and small group. Because uh, small group is just so much more intimate uh, and such a better place to ask questions. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a great experience to have with your friends while you're also learning something and then you also have get to have drinks on the side so it really is the perfect experience <laughs> I, I i love that and and jake i really appreciate you as always you, you're a breath of knowledge a wealth of knowledge and you always give me things that i feel like i can actually try um although success rates you know i'm, I'm still learning i'm still learning but i'm getting better which is always oh. the goal Thank you, Jonathan. You should try the rum punch this summer and get back to me and let me know how it goes. I, I will absolutely do the, that because uh, that sounds like something I can definitely do uh, with a nice nursery rhyme. I'm stuck with a lot of nursery rhymes with a two-and-a-half-year-old <laughs> running around. So, so I, I think I can handle that. And, and we'll have to do this again in the fall when, you know, maybe those little more boozy drinks come uh, back in style. Yeah, absolutely. Joining us now on the Hops and Spirits podcast once again it's Kevin Patterson. He's a Cicerone National Beer Judge. He's also the manager of the Beer Trap Craft Beer Store and Bar in Lexington. Kevin, welcome back again. Well, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. I look forward to talking about, uh, I guess, uh, some summer beers and some other things that's come up, just neat uh, trends and topics in the in the beer world. It's always uh, a topic whenever I serve uh, where I work. And so it's kind of nice to bring that to your audience as well. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's always a fun time when we do this. We do about once a quarter, once, once every season uh, now. And, and, you know, we talked spring last time. Um, we're going to go summer now because it's finally warming up, although it's raining today as, as we talk. Uh, but before I do that, because you're part of our summer school 2021 lineup, my one tough question for you is, did you pack your lunch when you went to school or did you get a hot lunch uh, when you were at school? Oh, I was very poor living in Appalachia. So uh, my parents, if they sent me a lunch, it would probably be a you know a bucket of water and some gravels. And so I just waited and see what the free lunches had for me. And and uh, I just hope every day was Friday and we got those square pizzas. So I got the hot lunch <laughs> at school. I, that was a delicacy when I grew up. I, I was a pack your lunch lunch kid. Although, as I told Jake earlier in the, in the show that uh, at times, uh, that was good, both good and bad. Uh, bad when your friends figured out how to get into your locker and take half of your lunch, and uh, there wasn't a whole lot you could do then. Um, but uh, I, I did every now and then enjoy getting the pizza at school. That was all, always a pleasure. And, and haven't they pretty much like almost come out with those like to bring back memories for us? Yeah, I remember there was a bar in town a while back, and they had some of those lunchroom classics. Uh, you could actually go to a bar at one thirty in the morning. You could order one of those schoolhouse pizzas. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know how that bar failed. I mean, that's a, a no-lose situation. <laughs> Absolutely. Who knows? We, we won't get into, into that. But uh, something I do want to get into with you is summer beers. Now, spring and summer kind of go a little bit of hand in hand in my mind with what beers are out now. 
uh, because, you know, as, as we talked last time, you know, your fruits, different things are now more plentiful. So you kind of get more of that, but what's the typical styles that people will see at the taps um, or even that you guys have down at the, at the beer trap right now uh, that people are asking for? Yeah, there's a lot of carryover, like you said, going from uh, spring beers into summer beers. Um, seems like with all the other seasons that the flavors can change quite a bit. So brewers always trying to get a jump on the next season by releasing their seasonal beers, maybe a bit early. Now I tease that, you know, Sam Adams comes out with their, their, I think their Oktoberfest is already out. Um, <laughs> and, you know, sometimes like their, um, their spring beers can come out whenever there's six inches of snow on the ground. But whenever it comes to spring to summer, you don't get that carryover because they do resemble the same. So if someone were to come out with, summer beer a little early you would never notice because it's in the beginning or middle of spring but there's neat trends that i'm seeing there's a lot of the brands that were popular last year year before maybe going on two or three years um once beers have been available on the market even seasonals for a few years it seems like the drinker gets a little bit tired of seeing them and so they already have this sort of uh stale visual quality on the shelf and so they have a tendency to get passed up so brewers are very smart when they anticipate that decline starting they're just going to go ahead and say well we're going to give you that familiar flavor of years past, but we're going to throw something else in there. We're going to throw a fruit in there or some herb in there or make it a little bit unique in some sort of way. Even double dry hop it with a hop variety that wasn't available in those seasonals in the past. So you did get a lot of those tricks and turns. Uh, one of the more popular uh, beers that comes to mind the last week or two has been uh, M43 by Old Nation Brewing Company. They started distributing here in limited basis uh, about a year and a half, two years ago. So now that the, the M43 of Rice had a chance to kind of saturate their palate with that flavor, and it starts to sit around maybe a little long for a hazy IPA. So like, you know what? We know how to fix this. Let's just add strawberry to it. And so <laughs> since the strawberry harvests are full swing right now in the, the, the North uh, Midwest, you do get this very fresh character of, the, of real ripe strawberry up front that fades off very quickly and becomes an IPA at the end, just the way you expect an IPA to perform. So that's one trend that we're kind of seeing so far for the summer. And it also seems like if a brewery is going to like, okay, let's give somebody a free beer, let's give them a tropical beer. So when you think of tropical, you think about the flavors of like, well, let's do uh, passion fruit or let's do pineapple. Um, let's do mangoes. And those are familiar, but what we're seeing now is a little bit of, okay, let's add coconuts. Let's add vanilla. And let's take this tropical flavor to the Hawaiian coast and give them a little bit of a, a break. We know that many people can't go on vacation still, not that the pandemic's hold them down, but the price from that pent-up demand is holding them down. So if we can't take the person on a vacation, let's take the, the taste buds on a vacation um, by giving them one of these flavored beers like that. So, you know, there's never any uh, shortage of twists and turns and curiosity and intrigue when it comes to what people want and what brewers are delivering. And the, the summer season uh, is full bloom with those kind of flavors too. So it's exciting for us. And then, you know, when we talked back in, I think it was in the winter time when we were kind of looking back at just the year in general, um, you know, you kind of mentioned, you know, 2020 obviously was a, a different year for everyone. Oh, really? I hadn't noticed. <laughs> huh. just, just a little bit. Uh, you think but, so? uh, but, but, you know, you kind of talked about how also people were buying things a little bit differently than they had in the past. Our, our folks, obviously now things are, are open most places, even in, in Kentucky, we're almost back to full capacity. When this episode drops, we'll be back to full capacity, things like that. 
have you noticed the, uh, uh, another change in, in how people's buying habits and what they're going for? Or, or what are you seeing on that front? Yeah, it's really a blend of both. What we're still seeing is a familiarity uh, with the, the classic beers, the Donfish at 60 Minutes or the Costas or Schwartz beers, um, Triple Karma Leeds. There's still an interest in those because those were comfortable beers for folks during the pandemic. Uh, the heights of the pandemic phases. Um, but as people are getting out and exploring more, they're starting to put some of those uh, kind of buying habits behind them a little bit and starting to seek out, okay, so what's new? So now we come, you know, a customer comes to our store and it's very common for them not to just go with what's familiar, but to stop and say, so what's new this week? What just came in? What should I be excited about? I like IPAs. What's something you recommend? I'll recommend four or five. I already had those. All right, now it's time to pull out the big guns or something that just came in. Maybe something I've not even had a chance to try yet that we're selling. And so start recommending some of those. So it's a blend of both is what I'm seeing right now. But I think the trend is going back to, okay, what's new? What's exciting? Um, I like to talk about, you know, the newness of beers and why people are really into it. It's more than just ticking off a number on a list. It's more than just chasing the trends. I think what it is, is, you know, Christmas as a kid only came around once every 364 days. Uh, but when you're a beer drinker and you get to taste something new every time you step into a store, every time you stop in a bar or a tap room, it can be a little bit of Christmas for the, for the palate every day. So I think that there's a uniqueness whenever it comes to that. And that's the reason why people seek out the new stuff when they're not distracted by more pressing issues like viruses and things of that nature. It is, it is interesting to see how, how things ebb and flow, especially with you know, what we experienced this, this past year. Um, you know, another thing that I, I'm curious about is, you know, you look at a lot of brands there for a while, the flagships were kind of doing well for, for some of them. Uh, Cause again, people were wanting things that were um, familiar to them, especially if they're going to get 12 or, or 24 or whatever. Uh, but, but recently I, I look at two, two companies for those in Kentucky West sixth, because um, they're a big distributor, and then those for more regionally larger scale Great Lakes, they're starting to put out things that are especially out past their tap room. That's a little bit more d- different, a little more variety. Uh, what, what do you see, what do you think about that? Seeing you know someone like a Great Lakes that's going out and putting out a Mexican lager out now, um, it, you know, and, and I think they're going to have a lemon Heffenweiss. They've got this citrus low crush locale uh, wheat beer. Now that they're all trying to do some different things, what, what do you think about uh, places doing stuff like that now? I think it's kind of fun. I, my mind goes to two different directions. Number one, breweries did make a lot of beer during the pandemic, and a lot of this very special beer. But they can't have those celebrations for anniversaries or for parties or sp- for special releases like they could in previous years. So those beers had a tendency to sit around. They wanted those beers to be brew pub only. Um, but now that there's too many of those beers out there, they're kind of sending them out to market. So we're getting more unique uh, varieties of beer that we are able to put on tap. Um, and then people ask, where's the bottles, where's the cans? Like, well, the brewery didn't do that. They just put it in keg this time. However, if it's popular, send them a note. Uh, maybe we'll talk, sweet talk them into changing their mind. But another thing is, yeah, this craft beer has really you know, dropped to and plateaued somewhere around uh, 2% growth rates uh, for the last couple of years. There's the worry that, okay, people are going to steer away from craft and go to other brands. What are those other brands? And can we give them a familiar flavor uh, that matches that? You know, Wessex has had a lot of success with their Cerveza uh, beer in the last couple of years. Uh, Great Lakes also with those kind of flavors. And, um, you know, even me, the deeper I get into craft beer, I'm very 
you know, happy to have, you know, a $23, you know, sour ale that's, you know, chock full of fruit and, you know, you have to stop halfway through it to take an insulin shot before you drink the other <laughs> half. I'm happy to drink those, but, you know, I'm also very happy whenever they're fresh to sit down and have a Mexican lager, um, a Negra Medella whenever it's fresh. It's really nice. So even, you know, someone in these shoes who should not admit to liking those beers has been around 20 years and are considered passe. When they're fresh, they can be very good. And I think brewers have kind of wisened up to that. And brewer, I think uh, craft beer drinkers are, even though they like the new stuff, they're less likely to just buy something because it's new. They have to have some confidence that it's actually good and they can actually drink multiple of them if they're going to buy more than one, perhaps in the store or at the tap room. And so I think some of those very uh, common you know, flavors, very common beers are found their way into uh, the, 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 the tap rooms and the, the craft beer portfolios to try to make sure that whenever brewers do steer away from maybe the intensity of the IPAs or the sours or the roasty beers, that there's still a flavor in that brewery's portfolio um, that makes the drinker happy. And so I think it's just another way to branch out. It's just another way to kind of show that, you know, craft brewers, they're not stagnant. They're not just trying to rest on some sort of success they saw 10 years ago. They are moving, they are ebbing, they are flowing. And uh, they're, they're trying to adjust to the buying demands of the consumer to make sure that you stay, keep your focus and your wallet uh, pointed in their direction. And I think that's smart. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, especially for someone like Great Lakes, who's been around for a long time, you got to make sure you keep things fresh and, and people's taste buds change. And uh, you can have a little fun with some seasonal releases or, or limited releases out and uh, have people looking forward to the next one. Um you know, for, for you, you there at, uh, at the, the craft beer store, um, obviously people can come in, have a drink, they can buy some stuff to, to go. Uh, what's been kind of moving lately that uh, anything that's shocked you um, in terms of maybe what style or, or anything like that that's moving uh, nowadays? Well, I mean, right now, the intensity of summer, you got the sours, you got the IPAs. Everybody knew that those were going to be popular. But what kind of sours, what kind of IPAs is what's kind of fun. One of the things I've enjoyed seeing, and this is something I've anticipated happening last year or two, um, the hazy trend is, is still just as popular as ever. But there's a segment of the IPA hopheads um, who are like, you know what, I'm just, I'm just kind of tired of them. I kind of want to go back to something that's a little bit more crisp, a little bit more bitter, a little bit more refreshing, something they can drink multiple of in one sitting. And so they're gravitating back to the West Coast style IPA. Mm -hmm. they, those never went away, you know, but they were largely diminished by the haze. Um, and one thing that I've noticed, too, is that brewers are very smart about how they're handling these new 70 IBUs, drier beers, too. They're not going back to the recipes of 10 years ago, 15 years ago. They're not going to be limited on their aromatic profile or limited on their fruity profile and flavor. They're not going to taste like pine salt. Uh, they're not going to have that kind of bitterness that just hangs yeah. up in the throat and you have to scrub it off with a toothbrush three days later. It's not that kind of IPA. There's been a lot of developments in the new hop varieties that's really made the hazy IPA shine. And I think what brewers are realizing is we can use those hops. We can use some of those techniques in brewing. We can use some modifications in our water chemistry to maximize these hop aromas, to maximize hop flavors, and to give this kind of fruity bitterness, along with some grassy herbal notes as well, that doesn't conflict with what happens whenever you make a hazy IPA. 
Hazy IPAs, if you use that water profile, if you use those yeast choices, if you do all those things and still try to make your bitter, bitter beer, it comes across highly astringent. It's very unpleasant. And then it's thick and it's chewy and it can do a lot of other things. If you're going to make a hazy IPA, you really need to do with your hops a very specific way to maximize the hop potential up front and the aroma and the flavor and to emphasize the malt characteristic and finish to make the beer have that juicy character. So I think the brewers have realized what is it about those techniques that we can apply to a 70 IBU beer without making it that classic, really dry, really resinous West Coast style. And, and I think brewers are figuring that out very quickly. They're learning that, you know, the Citra Mosaic, the Galaxies, the Idaho 7s, the Comets, uh, the Mandarin Bavarias, all these different hop varieties we're seeing come out now not just apply to hazy IPAs, but they're applying to IPAs that have a little bit of a malt balance, but not uh, the cereal ridden kind of uh, adjuncts that hazies have with the, so much of the wheat, with so much of the oats. Keep in mind, there can be wheat, there can be oats in these new IPAs, but they're just cutting down on that percentage quite a lot in order to let the bitterness shine just a little bit more. So it's really kind of fun to kind of see that happen. Again, come back to Old Nation that's out of Michigan. They have a 70 IBU beer out. They have a pale ale called Greenstone that's really fresh and really out right now. So that's what's been moving last week or two. And, uh, and I think the hotter it gets is the more we're going to see that. Now, if you're hearing this and you think, oh, my gosh, my hazies are going to go away. Don't worry about it. The hazy still <laughs> dominate the hop market. What we're talking about is, you know, the West Coast IPAs that might have, you know, sold reasonably well last year are selling a twice a clip this year. But we're still ordering more hazies than ever just because the thirst for those is way up there as well. Well, and, and too, I feel like nowadays brewers, I mean, obviously you mentioned 10, 15 years ago, they can't always go back to those recipes. Uh, but that can be a good base because you, you talked a little bit about it now. The hop variety that is out there is, is massive. And I don't feel like a lot of industries get to do, do something like the craft beer industry gets to do or the brewers get to do. And that's basically they're, they have a blank canvas almost every time they start because of the variation of, of varieties. I mean, has that kind of also changed how brewers attack a beer now, so to speak, when they're thinking up a new one? I think so. And I think the, what, what's fascinating is what's fueled why these new hop varieties are out there is the disease resistibility that they carry when they're in the field. You know, keep in mind that it's an agricultural enterprise. Whenever you plow a field and you decide to put these hop binds in the ground, these rhizomes, and expect them to grow a certain way, you want to make sure that you're maximizing your yield and that, you know, if the plant can materialize its own aromas and flavors to ward off pests, and insects and you know rodents to the point where you can get the most yield out of your you know, your crop as, as possible you want to do it now what happens is as they do this two things happen number one the beer becomes much more perfuming think of other vegetables like onions and geraniums um, garlic uh, even hemp to a certain extent those aromas and flavors that draw us to those characteristics uh, to those plants uh, are its own pesticide they ward off all these things so that it keeps them away and keeps them from damaging the plants. Well, we train hops to do the same thing. It's just the characteristics that these hops are developing to ward off those, um, th those pests are also rewarding us with the flavors, and the aromas that we want. Now, when you do that, what's also happened is it's changed the resinous compounds of the hops, which means the bitter flavors that you get in the finish. So they're less likely to be that really intense pine sap, pine tar, uh, characteristics like the Chinooks and the Magnums and the warrior hops were way back then. 
Um, a lot of these hops now are going to have a little bit more of a peppery, spicy characteristic as they breed uh, with more European varieties. So they take on a little bit more of that, you know, uh, saws, tetanon, holler towel characteristic that you're getting out of this germ germanic hops uh, to the point where it, it comes across tea-like, herbal, um, this really kind of fresh grassiness. It used to be, I would describe pop varieties being low on the grassier side, but now I'm able to pinpoint, was that parsley? Was that arugula? Is that basil? And they're starting to take on this really identifiable characteristic that makes them much more than just a generic grassiness. And now they have identity uh, to what type of grassiness or kind of herbal. Sometimes when I get the alcohol, I get the bitterness, and I get this uh, almost a sprucy characteristic from IPAs. I'm like, did it finish like gin? Are there gin botanicals? Is there juniper in this? And so I start to ask myself those questions. You know, sassafras, green tea, black tea, all these kind of flavors start to come into the mix. And that's a far departure from those really resonance, like I said, pine salt accented beers of maybe 20 years ago. I remember when I first got into home brewing, some of the old timers, this has been in 2000, and some of the old timers then that had been brewing for 15, 20 years uh, were telling me, oh, you don't want to use too much of the hops at the end of the boil. Um, you're just wasting them because you're not able to extract the bitterness. That was their only concern was how much of a bitter quality were you getting out of your IPA? To fast forward now, whenever it comes to the hazy IPAs, we're seeing like Six Point just came out with their new resin and, and they boast on the front of the label, zero IBUs. They're not using any hops at the beginning of the boil. What they're doing is they're allowing all the hops to go in at the end of the boil um, after the beer has cooled or at the worts has cooled down or even after fermentation. They're relying on whatever bitterness gets achieved in the beer to happen because of the alcohol that will absorb those resins and create a little bit of bitterness on the back end. But they're not adding any at the beginning of the boil, and that's usually when people calculate IBU levels. So you get a lot of changes like that that are happening, and it really does start with what happens in the field and what happens in the labs when it comes to making these hops uh, disease-resistant. It's amazing how, how much science goes into uh, brewing, distilling, anything like that. It's, it's fascinating. And I, th I think more people uh, need, need to know that because it's amazing what, what happens uh, with, with when you make a beer. Uh, can, you know, we, we've, I've asked you this many a times, Kevin, what's uh, some of the beers or breweries that are out now or are doing some good things that people should know about? Well, again, I mentioned some of the hottest ones right now in the old nation. I seem like I'm I, they should pay me royalties for this <laughs> podcast. Um, but they're doing some really nice things. Like I said, you know, uh, Six Point just come out with their, their new one as well. Um, some new stuff in even, you know, the, the Ryan guys is coming out with their new Cloud Harvest. Uh, that's the number five version of that. That's been a popular series. And this new one is highly floral on the front end, a little spicier on the finish, very green. Uh, not a whole lot of necessarily fruit in this one. It's just a lot of green. Wessex has their new hop static uh, coming out. So that's really exciting. And these beers are what we talked about earlier. There are varieties of those that really does celebrate a crisper, cleaner, more refreshing, bitter beer uh, without abandoning everything they've learned about the haze as well. The coin phrase that you're hearing about these is called the juicy L. So they'll just put the, a juicy L on the front of the label. That's not a style. It's just a slight trend. In other words, they're using some techniques that they like to see in the hazies, but it's not a hazy L. It's some sort of other pale L or IPA hybrid that they've put together that just simply tastes good. Maybe the first example of that was zombie dust. Hmm. Uh, they kind of did some of those tricks. They blurred styles, they blurred characteristics, but they come up with a delicious beer. And uh, so I think we're, we're seeing a lot of breweries like that kind of come out now. Uh, some other ones has come out. Um, 
trying to think of some really you put me on the spot and I can't think of anything. <laughs> nope, nothing new came in this week. Nothing, it's all old nothing. stuff. No, that's it. Um Anderson Valley keeps rolling out some really nice kind of summer goes as we talked about those. Um well and they also um, have some new cans, if I'm not mistaken, the new logo, right? Anderson yep. Valley. Yeah, so those should, you should start seeing those on the shelf soon. If not, if you haven't yet, uh, Duclaw, uh, they have a Rocket uh, American uh, Sour Rail that just came out that's supposed to emulate the Rocket popsicles they used mm-hmm. to get as a kid. And so that's a Fourth of July special. Oh, how can I forget? You know, it's uh, Stone Brewing Companies, you know, can be a little bit unpopular with the local market because of the ongoing, you know, conversations that happen about them and Salt Stone, understandably so. But for those who do enjoy Stone beers, uh, their new enjoy buy uh, is a 9%. So they backed off the 9.4% that we're kind of used to seeing. And uh, it's laced with pineapple and um, a tangerine. So even they're dabbling with some of those fruits. So if you look at the label, it's like, oh, no, I've had the enjoy buy before. Well, you haven't had this one before. <laughs> and that kind of creates a full circle of what we talked about earlier. Well, th- those are some good ones to, to, to try for sure and, and be on the lookout. And before I let you go, I asked Jake this earlier because, you know, in Kentucky, we're almost back to full capacity, uh, but bar seating is now allowed and people are now more apt to go out. So what's it like for you being a bartender with people back at a bar? Um, claustrophobic, I guess. <laughs> um, our bar is not a very big bar. Um, in normal seating capacities, you put 40 or 50 people in there. And we're, we're pretty packed. Uh, during the you know height of the pandemic, we would put 25 people in there and even at that, it was like, you know, it just feels a little cramped even then. And that's before we put bar, bar stools in. It's before we did any of this. So now there's bar stools around. I can smell people's breath after beer number three again, and I'm not <laughs> thrilled about it. Um, when they sit at the bar, you get all that. And uh, so because you don't have any place to go, you can't hide. You're sitting right there. You're serving. It's great to see them back in. Uh, it's great to have people. It's great to have chatter in the room. It's great to hear people talk about something other than what's happening with the virus or politics. It's great to hear life happening. So we're all very grateful about that. Um, but I'll tell you what, it's been hard to pour beers at 11, 12 o'clock at night. Um, I'm not used to that. I'm, you know, for a long time, I was just selling beers retail. Then when we started serving again, everybody had this, uh, like an early bedtime. So even though we were staying open at nine to 10 o'clock, our busy times happened at five or six. Um, I really feel bad for the restaurant industry. The reason why is because there's not a chef in this town that can make a burger at midnight right now. They will have to re-go through training because they're not used to it. Uh, bartenders are complaining that, um, oh my gosh, this customer's there until 1030 last night. Can you believe it? This is what I heard a couple of months ago. And I'm like, 1030? I mean, the news isn't even off yet. You know, it's not even nighttime yet for some folks. Uh, so there's an adjustment that comes with it. It is good, but uh, it's a strain. It is a new kind of stress. It's a str- stress you invite, but it's a stress nonetheless. Well, I was going to say, I'm sure you're happy to, to see see a, a full bar again, because that means good things for, for y'all. And then um, you know, I, I guess this too, cause you're, you know, beer judge, you're a Cicerone, all, all those fun, fun titles I said at the beginning, um, are, are you uh, still doing, doing the judging in our, our festivals and things like that happening a little more often that you're, you're taking part of? As time's gone on to the beer shop, I've taken on more and more responsibilities when customers are there more, which means weekends that takes me away from a lot of weekend activities in terms of traveling and judging and participating in those events. And that's when they happen too. That's when most people have off. So for me, most of my education that I gain and gather does happen behind the bar, uh, talking with other customers, trying these things and, you know, trying to assign words to them uh, that somehow makes sense. 
And uh, so I don't get a chance to get out and do too much of that at all. But I know a lot of people like it. And people are like, oh, I feel so bad for the guy. I'm like, there's two groups of people no one should ever feel sorry for. Number one is professional golfers. Number two are certified CISFRONES. Because, yes, we have to be there a lot of the hours that you think are bad. But we get to sit in a really cool room with a lot of cool beer and a lot of cool people. We get to see people happy and they pay us money. I get to sit around in tennis shoes and, you know, a, you know, blue jeans and a T-shirt in a 68 degree environment. And after everybody leaves, guess what? I get to sit down and have a few. So no one should ever feel too bad for us for not getting uh, to, to enjoy all the festivities that are cranking back up. Well, well, Kevin, I, I am, as always, it's a pleasure to have you on. And, and thank you for dropping a, just a little bit of that knowledge and sharing that with everyone. Happy to do so, Jonathan. Thank you. I uh, had a blast talking with Kevin and Jake. They just bring so much knowledge. Uh, just It's just a fun time. It's just a fun time, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. I also hope you check out our past talks with them because, like I said, they bring just so much to the table, and uh, it's just stuff that you can use in everyday life, whether you're going to the store to find some new beer or you want to make some cocktails at home. And remember, we'll be doing this again with them in the fall too because, as we all know, when the seasons change, the cocktails on the menus change, and so does the beer on the shelves as well. Also want to let you guys know out on our Instagram page at Hop Spirits on Instagram is our full lineup for Summer School 2021. And next week, our next episode, we'll be talking to Brian Lang, uh, co-founder and head distiller for Middle West Spirits in Columbus, Ohio. He'll be talking about how grains impact the whiskey, or at least how your selection of your grains impact your whiskey. It's a really fun chat. He is just a breath of knowledge as well, and it's always fun to chat with him. And as I said, remember, follow us on all of our social media pages at Hop Spirits, all one word, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok, uh, because you never know what you'll find there. We drop uh, our Give It a Try highlights every Monday night and our cocktail quickies uh, shake up Friday nights as well. So a lot of fun there. You can also find that on our YouTube page. And if you can, give us a five-star review. Tell your friends about us. Subscribe to our YouTube page. It helps us out a great deal, and we truly, truly appreciate it because guess what? This was episode 53. That's right. We've been doing this for one whole year, and we couldn't have done it without you. And I truly, truly appreciate it all. And remember, until next time, cheers, everyone. <laughs>